Welcome to Profit and Prosper, a podcast for entrepreneurs who are ready to make some money while doing what they love. On this podcast, we're going to pull back the curtain and talk about all things business and money, but I promise you this is not your typical boring numbers talk. I'm your host, Sarah Young, a CPA and CFO with over a decade of experience in finance, business, and leadership. I'm going to share everything I've learned from helping my clients grow more profitable businesses and keep more of what they earn while growing my own successful business along the way. You'll feel empowered and confident that you too can grow your wealth, live a rich life, and have an impact. Stick with me and you might even start to think that finance is fun. Let's dive in. This week on the podcast, we are continuing our series on how to increase your sales and your cash inflows by considering how aligning your business with your values as a person, as a human being, can actually help you make more money. I'm interviewing Jessica Lackey of Jessica Lackey Consulting. Jessica helps impact-oriented leaders redesign their business strategy and operations for more ease embodiment, and earnings. So if that sounds good to you, you will love this episode. What we talked about in this episode is honestly a little different from what I have done so far on the podcast because we talked about what it means to be a feminist business, how gendered socialization is impacting what you're doing in your business and how you're charging and how you um, structure your business model. The definition of real work, we talked about Jessica's three pillars of pricing, which are pricing for transformation, margin, and justice. We covered so many topics, and every time I talk to Jessica, my mind gets blown a little bit more, and I walk away having learned something new. So I know you are going to love this episode. So let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode of the Profit and Prosper podcast. I am really excited because I have my friend and squad member, business bestie, client, business coach at some point in time. Like We have kind of done all the things over the last year plus that we've known each other. Jessica Lackey of Jessica Lackey Consulting. And on this episode, I want to continue the conversation about increasing your cash inflows and getting paid and making sales. But I brought Jessica on specifically to talk about how you do all that in alignment with your goals and your values and with, you know, doing it in a way that feels good to you in your business because she does it so well. So Jessica, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me on, Sarah. I'm excited to be part of the conversation. Yes. So first and foremost, tell us who you are, about your business, what do you do, why do you love it? So I call myself a feminist strategy and operations advisor. I don't use the word coach because my work has three components. It has soul-centered life coaching. It has badass business strategy from a consulting perspective, but it also has grounding and embodiment practices. Cause I really feel like all three of those are going to help you reimagine and redesign your business for more ease, energy, and earnings and a little bit of, um, you know, 
putting equity in there as well, because we drive our businesses, not just by following a formula, but by following a strategy that really works for us, our souls, our bodies, and our gifts. So that's what I do. I work with mostly uh, solopreneurs or teams or leaders with small businesses. Um, started this business officially about a year and a half ago. That is exciting. So we met last, was it last April? So we were in Lauren Widrick's, one of her programs together last spring, summer. And for anybody listening, Lauren was on the podcast a couple episodes ago. Um, And so if you haven't listened to that interview, go do that. It was amazing. But we met there. And then I remember you were testing out your, I forget what you call them at the time, but you're like, not uh, what's the like workshop style sessions. And I remember like coming out of it and like my head was like exploding basically in a good way, (laughs) in a good way. And so that is what I want to talk about is like, how do we do all that? And so you said, you know, I like your alliteration, um, equity, ease, earnings. I feel like I forgot one, but energy. Yes. Energy and doing all this, like really just in alignment, I think is a good word for what, for what I get from you anyways, is this idea that like you can do both things. You can make money and take care of yourself and also help other people, right? So yes, let's dive in. And let me just ask this really basic question is what are values and why should we care about our personal values as we're running our business? So the way I define values are these are your true North for how you want to show up in the world. So these are the the values that um, make up your compass for running ideas, running things through a filter so you can know whether or not that aligns with your, um, you know, we say aligns with your values, but really it aligns with your soul. I think values are also different than gifts, which I don't know if you're gonna touch on um, because our gifts are also, we can, how you, like, you know, if the values are how you want to show up, your gifts are how the, the, literally the, how that manifests in the world and kind of the work you're meant to do. So different values and different gifts translate into different business models that are going to feel really good for you. Yes. So do you think that most business owners know what their values are? There's the values that are on paper And then there's the values that are lived. So if you've looked at any kind of like corporate business statement, there's like, we value inclusion and equity, which we know that's not real. We value work-life balance. We value consumer-centric. What they don't put on the the list is that we value shareholder profit above all. So that's a, you know, we value being attached to your phone all the time. We value um, PowerPoint presentations and performing. So I think there's a difference between like your, named values and your lived values. But I think also for, particularly for women business owners, we see that um, our values kind of get enmeshed with almost our gendered socialization and training about like being of service and being a helper versus more, um, I guess, more higher level values like honor and commitment. Because I think we're just like, I love helping people. I'm like, that's not really a value. That that's, um, how do we, you know, transcend of our our socialization and to really say what's truly a filter for how we want to show up and a compass for how we want to show up in the world. It may or may not be service and helping, but if it is, how do we think about that on a higher level? Yes. 
I love that you said that because, you know, most of my clients are women. I have some who are not like some cool men, but like most of them are women business owners. And a lot of my audience is also like women socialized as women. And I see this coming up the longer I'm in business, the more I just like feel called to just point this out. It's like women are socialized from a very young age to value like being the helper and like playing that support role and to do good for other people. And these things are also like perceived to not be in alignment with also making money. And I also believe, and this is like the feminist in me coming out and you'll probably agree that that's on purpose to an extent, whether culture society like really consciously does it, but I think it's on purpose to keep the power structures where they are, which is generally not in the hands of anybody who is not a white straight man. It is conscious. It's really conscious. We look at what our advertising and we look at what we're taught in school and how, um, you know, you look at gut, you know, we talked a little bit, we talked a little bit about this on our pre discussion, but government policies that make it really difficult for having two, two heads of household in the workplace, um, just because of lack of childcare and things like that. So, um, you know, it makes it hard to think, to reconcile being of service and helping with making money because, um, care work is literally not valued monetarily in the United States. And so we're wired and trained this way. Um, so that's, I think what's so important about the, about talking about pricing is to recognize that we can and should break the paradigm that being of service and being a helper means giving your stuff away for free. Mm. I just got like the chills, like, yes, to all of that. And I think we could, I could go down such a rabbit hole about what you just said about like the care work not being valued and all of that. And I think that is a huge reason a lot of us, a lot of my clients start their own businesses. And I mean, I was just interviewing a VA yesterday who started her business for the same reason. And I've, I've, I mean, when I was in the corporate world and I won't go down too far down the rabbit hole, but when I was there, there was like almost a competition of like who could work the longest and who could work the hardest and who could be the most productive. And there were people in the finance department who said multiple different people would be like, I'm when I am the first person to drop my kid off at school or at daycare in the morning. And I'm generally the last one to pick them up if I'm not late after the daycare pickup deadlines. And this was before I had my son. And I just remember thinking, I want absolutely nothing to do with that. Yeah. I believe I can do both. And I think that women can do both. If you're enjoying my podcast, then you are going to love my exclusive weekly email series, Profit and Prosper Millionaire Mondays. As a business owner, you have limitless potential for the amount of cash flow you can create in your business, but your journey to building wealth might not feel all that straightforward. To convert your cash flow into real wealth, you need to do a bit of planning and strategizing so that you can be wealthy and be well, reaching financial independence and eventually retiring or relaxing early at your lake house, which is my plan. 
In my Millionaire Mondays email series, I share tactics and strategies for using your business to generate your first million dollars in net worth in the same approachable way that you get in the podcast. Sign up for my exclusive emails for free at profitandprosper.co forward slash millionaire. How do we like begin to break apart this? Um, I don't know. You tell me like, what was the phrase that you just said? Because you said it way better than I can never say it. I think we, we break apart the paradigm that being a service and being a helper um, means you can't charge for things. But I think it's broader than that. It's, it's how do we think about pricing in the context of women's or any business owners, real experience and transformation that you provide. How do we think about it in relationship to margin? And I think we'll talk more about that. And how do we think about it in contributing to economic and social justice? So those are ways we embrace our values while also building a thriving business. Because what one of my teachers, Kelly Deal, says is if the feminist in the business isn't thriving, it's not a feminist business. And I think that's what we have to remember. Like having an an anti-capitalist business only works if you have a business And if you run out of cash and you run out of money, you have no business. So it's really important that we think about our business models so that we can impact the communities that we care about. But in order to do that, we have to actually be in business. So let's make sure we talk about what that means from a pricing perspective. Yes. So I'm glad you said that. And we were voxering about this before and you were like, I won't use the word anti-capitalist, but I was like, no, let's go there. Because I think we both are reading or recently have read Trudy LeBron's book, Brooke. <laughs> it's like a tongue twister. Her book, which is, um, tell me if I'm like remembering the exact title wrong. I'm literally on chapter three. It's like anti-racist business. Yeah, the anti-racist. Anti-racist. It's the anti-racist business book. Yes, that's exactly it. But she talks about this idea of anti-capitalist businesses and for people who've never heard of this and think that we're like diving off the deep end like tell me like what does does that mean you know because I envision like telling my mom this right if I use the word anti-capitalist to her she would think like are you turning into a communist you know like so like what does that mean and what does it mean like what does being an anti-capitalist business mean what does a feminist business mean like really Well, there are people who are way more schooled on this than I am. So I'm just going to give you my perspective. Um, Capitalism is where um, it's free markets, it's privatization of of goods and services. Um, And I think in the 80s, late stage capitalism or 90s, neoliberalism really started to, to, to build and grow its head. And that's where you start to see the kind of crippling of government support meant to um, ensure a social safety net. Um, You start seeing uh, more mergers and free regulation. um, And then you start to see more extraction of the environment and more exploitation of workers. So I think in like our context, a anti-capitalist business um, from like maybe a service-based perspective is one that um, doesn't plagiarize and steal from your teachers and gives lots of citations and credit. It doesn't um, lift off the work of particularly um, women of color and kind of profit off that work. It doesn't tout your seven-figure business and then you're hiring uh, a team that you're paying maybe overseas for like $7 a day. 
Um, those are the types of, it's not concentrating power, um, particularly for those with more mythical norm identities, um, hat tip Audre Lord. and really saying, how can we acknowledge that um, there is inequality in the world and how can we um, look at how we serve a broader audience versus just simply how do I retain more personal profit? So if you're Jeff Bezos, maybe it's not have you know billions and billions at the top of Amazon and maybe it's pay your warehouse workers a higher wage and let them go to the bathroom. So that's the, that's like, like when we think of anti-capitalist business, it's how do we think about the collective thriving and also participating in structures that support the most marginalized around us so that we're all rising. So how do we give a little bit more so that everyone has a little bit? Yes. And I love that you said Jeff Bezos, you know, because I think back to, was it like last fall when everybody was like launching the rockets into space and, you know, I just really like that stuff like that just really drives me kind of nuts to be honest. Like I'm all for exploration and doing this. Like, that's great. I guess we don't really have to go there, but I think it's just the idea of like how many billions of dollars collectively went into building all these rocket ships for rich people to put themselves in space for 20 minutes or however long it was that could have been used to your point to allow Amazon workers to go to the bathroom, you know, like it, it is unreal. And I think like I work with, um, you know, a lot of business owners hiring teams and it's something that it's hard to find you know, it's the labor market is hard right now for business owners. And, you know, with inflation rising and people, I think are finally also just ready to say like, I'm not working for $13 an hour anymore. Like I can't do that. And I think how do we, as business owners, like if you're listening to this podcast, you may not have heard the word anti-capitalist or feminist business before, but I think if you move past the like the word itself and really think about to Jessica's point, what are your true values? Like, what are the things that you really want to do in this world? I bet you are in alignment with what she's saying, with treating people fairly, with like supporting the people that help you build your business, right? Paying them a fair wage. So I think all of that is amazing. And, and you cannot do that if you do not make money if you don't have a profitable business and if you're not charging for the value of what you provide or Jessica, it's actually got a really nice framework. It's a nice segue into your three, I don't know what to call them, three elements of pricing. Yeah, we'll call them pillars. Um, Lauren always tells us to alliterate and she's got three Ps. And so, um, you know, we'll just call them pillars of pricing. Um, The first one I wanted to talk about is pricing for transformation. Um, so many people I talk to think, well, like, you know, I charge by the hour. A, I hate that because it's like, really, I spent 20 years reading and learning and consolidating information and putting together frameworks so that I could deliver you massive transformation in an hour. So one, I don't want to be penalized for being efficient. And two, um, you know, I trained that hard so that I could deliver it in an hour. So when we think about pricing by the hour, pricing by the day, um, 
let's break that paradigm and say, truly, what is the transformation you are providing for your clients? What is that value you're giving them? And not like, it's not your worth, like charge your worth makes me want to barf. Charge the worth of the transformation that you're providing and being honest about that transformation. Um, You know, some of my clients based on their stage of business, um, they're starting out They're you know, in the seed stage of their business. Um, It would be, I can't promise and back up the value of, I'll give you a six figure business in a year. And that means that if I'm charging you, if you want to get a 10 X return on your investment, I should be charging you $10,000. I know that that's my, that's like best case scenario. So personally for me, I feel inauthentic about charging that price because um, I can foresee the value of that transformation, you know, from a, an actual perspective and say, I don't feel so great about that, but do I feel like I can get you up and running to get to 50 K? Sure. And so how do I use your ROI calculations to think about truly what does my pricing look like for the transformation I'm providing? And if we're talking about 250,000 business owners, can we get them you know, 3X, 4X, 10X return on my coaching and consulting. Yeah. And also because they have the cash balance to support it, there could be a higher price there because the the actual nominal value of that transformation is higher. Mm -hmm. So just by a fact of the math, right? Because the same, I, I mean, I did the same thing because our different services are really tailored for businesses at different levels. And so my monthly CFO service is way more expensive than our tax package, right? Because it's just a different transformation to provide. And it's a balance, right? Of not fleecing people, but really being able to back it up. But also I actually had this conversation yesterday with um, one of my coaches and I was talking about like not feeling like sometimes there's a struggle where I, I price my services and part of my value transformation is like, yes, cash flow, bottom line, profit, save money on taxes. But part of like, part of my job is not to implement necessarily all the things I'm talking about. It's just to talk through the strategy. And so disassociating myself necessarily from like the responsibility and the over delivery of feeling like I have to walk, like hold people's hand through that but also like, you know, charging enough. And so like, I guess, what would you say to that is like, we don't want to charge hourly because it's really difficult to make money for that. But we also don't want to like feel the pressure necessarily of over delivering and doing all that too. Well, I think it's, it's, it's looking at as, as you start to get more reps under your belt with more clients, what is the expected outcome they're getting? Are they really implementing your strategies and seeing the kind of expected success you expect, then there's a pricing uh, look at that too. But I think there's also something interesting of like this, this concept of if they can't get there on their own, how do you price for over-delivering? How do you price for that? How do you price to say, you know, yes, the strategy is probably not enough. And based on my experience, we're going to need to add in some implementation support. And that's going to give you even more value than just the strategy alone, price for that. You know, like the the 30 days of Voxer support after a strategy session, that unlocks massive transformation for people. So they don't just like do a thing, take a course and then stop. But I think we have to just be honest about the transformation that we get from just, you know, one time session, the transformation we get from a six month strategy engagement. How do we 
like acknowledge that track it and praise for it. Yes. No, I'm glad you said that because I think that is how I ultimately landed on doing a CFO service, just to use myself as an example, right? It's like, well, we need to have the team on the back end doing the actual work to provide me and the business owner with the data that we need to do the things to enable everything else. And so I think I had to price for that because I also have to have a team who I also want to pay fairly to do the work. And so it all, you, I think you can hear how like circular it all really becomes. So pricing for transformation, yes. Price for, it's and it's not about like charge your worth. Like I hate, I hate, hate, hate when I read that. Like it literally makes my insides just crawl because, and you, you, I'm sure you can say this more eloquently than me, Jessica, but your worth as a human being is not tied to the price that you charge in your business. So just because I'm charging for, you know, I've got $40,000 plus a year for CFO clients, just because I'm, you know, maybe in my office complex, I'm looking out and there's a bookkeeper who may charge like $200 a month, right? I'm not more valuable as a human being because I charge more than her. It's just pricing for the transformation, right? Yep. I can't say it any more eloquently. That was amazing. Oh, thank you. Well, that makes me feel good. Okay. So pricing for transformation is one. What is number two? So pricing for margin. And here we want to talk about your margin on your time and your margin on your energy. And this actually goes back to, if I say that um, pricing for transformation is a quote unquote top down perspective with this type of client, with this type of transformation, I think I can deliver it in this many hours. If you do the math on the number of clients you're taking on, the number of hours you expect to deliver that service, and then you do the math and you're like, oh, I need to be billing 40 hours a week. Then we have a problem. We need to raise our prices, which means we need to change the level of our transformation or change our business model so we're getting more people in at that time. Because, you know, we can't, we are not machines. We cannot work all the time. And particularly if you're doing, depending on the type of work you're doing, if you're doing deep strategic thinking, you're going to need to have active recovery time. It's non-negotiable. If you're doing anything, you're holding space for an individual or for a group, you're going to need to have active recovery time. So we need to price so that you're not billing, you're not having to bill out probably more than I would say 50% of your stated working hours, because you're going to need 20% to do, you know, 10, 20% of your time to do admin and 30% of your time to get new clients in the door, depending on your type of business. So if we're, you know, the, the top-down math is saying, what is my transformation? The bottoms up math is saying, based on the client load, I need to pick up to do that. Or if I'm a product-based business, how much web traffic do I need and how much ads do I need? Do shipping I have- Shipping time and shipping inventory time. management, yes. Do I have time for this, um, both energetically to recover and physically to recover? So that's the, the second part of pricing. And to your point earlier, if the math doesn't work on a bottoms up perspective, then we need to change our model or up the level of transformation, which yes. is what you did a year ago. Yes. So I have a, actually, I have a ton of notes that I made in this section. I think one, I want to Talk, talk about cyclicality. Mm -hmm. And two, I want to talk about the definition of work. Oh, yes. yes. 
Let's go here. Are you excited? Let's, so, so let me, <laughs> yes, let me, let's do the real, the definition of like real work, for example, because you said something to me, I forget where we were. It might have been in the workshop that we did where like my mind was blown, but I, you know, I come from Deloitte, big four, billable time is literally my rating, my promotions, my bonuses, right? Is like, how am I performing? How much am I working? Um, if you left before like 7 PM, the partner would like judge you hard and make a note of it. Um, and then, you know, I worked at a large publicly traded company climbing the corporate ladder in pretty fast time, if I do say so myself. And I think when I started my business, I forget exactly what our conversation was, but I remember saying like, I just don't feel like I'm working. Like, I just, I feel like I need to be like work is sitting in front of my laptop, staring at the screen, staring at spreadsheets, having client meetings. And I think it was like maybe a lunch or like something fun that we did. And you were like, no, Sarah, like this is also work. And like, this is how this benefits your business. And I was like, oh shit, you're right. Yep. We were at uh, Lauren's retreat in October. Yes. And I said, uh, it, it's hard to say what work is, but I can say work is definitively not hands-on keyboard time. It is not it's like we are trained, like, especially now in the, the age of like micromanagement and like those employee trackers that like track your mouse movements, right? And we are conditioned as particularly in corporate hands on keyboard time as your, particularly as your own business owner, strategic planning, active recovery. I just taught a class on flow yesterday. Um, I don't know when this will go out, but I taught a class on flow recently and there's four elements of flow to really get into the strategic deep work. That's going to really drive your business forward. Step one is the struggle. It's all about learning and codifying information. So all the reading you're doing, all the podcasts you're listening to that are related and unrelated, that's work. There's the release part of the phase where your subconscious is processing everything you've learned and getting creative hits in the shower. And you know, as you're journaling or doing art or gardening or cooking, you're having insights, that's work. Then there's the flow stage, which is really, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to do my work, both my deep work and my administrative nonsense. And then I have to recover from that effort. All of that is considered work, particularly as you move forward in your business from being someone who's given tasks and executes to someone who is creating the vision, creating the strategy, translating that into clear tasks and processes, thinking about how to do that. Like, I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time in my head thinking about how I want to set up my clients' task management systems and project management systems and thinking about that while I'm on a walk with my dog. That's all work time. And then yes, there's the 20 minutes that I spend typing it into Asana when I get home. But you know, as a CEO, as a leader of your business, thinking about the vision, thinking about the strategy, thinking about your core values and not just thinking, but feeling and like tending to your body, tending to your foundation, that's all work, which is why I've discovered that like I work like way more than I did in corporate because now um, all of the reading I do and all of the, the tending to my personal soil, I would call it, that's all like part of how I show up to do my job. Um, but I love it. So I don't consider yes. it work, but like my hobby became my work. My hurt work became my hobby. And so um, it's the lines are a little blurred for me right now, but that's all work. So 
when you take that time away from your business, and that's why you have to have margin time to yes. not be delivering for your clients. So you can be dreaming and thinking and being creative about what comes next. Yes. That's exactly why I made that note in this section is because I think we have to break out of this employee mindset. One of the hands on the keyboard time is what literally pays the bills to as a business owner, it is important for you to take care of yourself. And it is important for you to have the space to do the things, because if you don't ever leave space, you are never going to get ahead and you're going to get into a stage of burnout really fast and want to shut it all down. <laughs> I've been there. That's why I say this. So yeah, I think when we price it, when we price for margins, it's not just about team time, right? So a lot of business owners will literally do the math of like, how many dollars will it cost me to, I'll use an example of a home organizer. How many, how many dollars do I need to pay my two people who are going to go spend a day or two at the client site compared to how much I charge? But I think you also have to build into your capacity, you know, time for you to have space outside of doing the work. Yeah. And you're probably going to talk about this with cycles. Are we ready to go there? Yeah. So, you know, we are taught, you know, in the industrial era that, the machines just run. Um, there might be some scheduled downtime. That is not how nature works. That is not how humans work. There are ebbs and flows in businesses seasonally. Um, there are ebbs and flows in business just based on the life cycle. You might be starting something new. You might be scaling something. You might be sunsetting something, something you're like, okay, this is, I'm not in love with this anymore, or I need to up level and change my, you know, streamline my operations, change my back end, or retire a program. And so if we always, charge for the best month. I listen to your other podcasts there. I listen to all your podcasts, but if we always charge for the best month, we set our standards too high and we can never allow for the cycle. So we get trapped on that hamster wheel of needing to make X, which means we can't take a step back. We can't let our bodies rest. We can't dream of something new and test it and pilot it a few times because we don't have the cash reserve in the bank to plan for that cycle. And it's, it's completely unsustainable to assume linear growth up into the right short-term results. Um, you see that's what crashes and burns companies in the public sector, having to sacrifice long-term health for short-term gains to appease the stock market. That happens in business all the time, small businesses too. So how do we price for margin of cash as well so that we can cover when we have ebbs and flows in our creativity and our capacity or Hell, if you want to go on vacation or take a sabbatical or take time off or just, you know, or hell, if you're a woman and you need to have some, some cushion for pregnancy or being sick or taking care of older parents, you know, unfortunately the burden of caregiving tends to fall heaviest on women. So how are we pricing for the fact that we have to cover not just ebbs and flows in our lives, but life stages for the rest of, you know, the world we're a part of. Yes. So pricing to make sure that you have time and space and cash in the bank. I have a pretty new client who literally started their business last July and in six months did 250 in revenue and will do a million plus this year. And I'm not saying that to like glorify like how fast they grew. The reason I bring them up is in April, they had a month where for the first time they you know, their cash balance was drawn down significantly. They had a lower sales month and it was the first time in nine months that they had experienced that. And like this resulted in 
honestly, a freak out moment of like, oh my God, everything's crashing and burning. And the point being, this is normal. This is going to happen. At some point or another, the economy will change. We may or may not be going into a recession in the next few months to a year. Um, your something may happen in your personal life. And so like I've talked about on social media, last October, my dad passed away and there was all of that time of like, you know, trying to deal with like all of the hospice, hospital, all of this stuff. And then after that, just giving myself space, there's childcare, there's COVID (laughs) getting sick. Like the list is endless. And I don't know what is going to happen in the future. No one does, but I guarantee you there's going to be time in the next three to six months that your business has a reduction in sales for some reason or another. And so that's why we need to space or plan for capacity, cyclicality, time, space, and reserves. And you cannot do that if you are not priced appropriately, right? And one last thing on the margin piece is margin for connection, because in the times of worldwide uh, turmoil, um, there's going to be times when you can give and times when you need to receive. And if we've been so focused on being on the hamster wheel and we've neglected the relationships that are going to be with us through the times of where we need support and where we need that community, we're going to be left, um, you know, in our individual white picket fences, houses, um, not knowing who's our neighbors and who can be there when we need support. So if we're, you know, constantly trying to bill and constantly trying to, to be on that hamster wheel and pricing for that, uh, we're going to neglect to your point, our bodies, our cash, our time, but also our relationships and connections, which is really the ultimate source of security is being in communities with others who will lift you up when, uh, when it's necessary. Yes. All good points. And before we talk about the third pillar, um, I want to talk just tactically about if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, but how do I price for margin? I had one of my group program coaching calls yesterday and one of the people we went through an example of doing exactly this, of calculating the revenue goal and then capacity and pricing. And she was like, we can comfortably do eight projects per month. And so I said, okay, Here's your revenue goal, which I have a free calculator. I'll just throw this in there. If you want to calculate your revenue goal, profitandprosper.co forward slash calculator, and you can do this. We calculated her revenue target, her baseline to pay herself and keep the lights on. And then we said, okay, that divided by eight projects is this price. And there were problems there because one, the price that we calculated, guess what, was higher than her current price. And two, Eight projects per month assumes operating at capacity every single month, month after month after month. And so we have to step back and say, okay, what's reasonable, right? And we have to pull that back and say, well, how do we adjust either raise your price or sometimes we forget there's another piece to that. So revenue is your sales price times the volume. And so if you can do more, you have to pull back on what you provide in order to have the capacity to do more. So, but honestly, increasing your price generally is the easiest, fastest way. So tactically, like literally sit down and do the math of what do I need to keep the lights on coming in cash wise every month? And then how do I factor capacity, time, space, community, cyclicality, 
all of that into that to get to a reasonable number that you can achieve so that you're not expecting the best case scenario month after month after month, because it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And I, I do this with my clients as well from a more strategic and alignment perspective. So I work with a uh, marketing um, thought leadership agency and she's very clear. She wants to be the strategic voice. And so we are building up from the, the top down, bottoms up perspective on, okay, if she, we've, we know her personal pay and we know she needs to outsource to subcontractors for graphic design and copywriting, what does that look like from a team design perspective? How much does she need to bring in? And also how many team members does she need? And so what is that going to look like from like a strategic sales pipeline and organizational design perspective so that she has the time to be that strategic thought leader? So it's both a pricing strategy, but also with, with you know, my clients, and I'm sure you do this too with yours, but like org design and mm-hmm. thinking through the strategic market positioning and placement. So, yes. Yeah. It's all a big puzzle. I like to say, right. It's a big puzzle and you've got to figure out like your puzzle is different than my puzzle and that's okay. We just have to figure out how to fit the pieces together. Okay. I think honestly, we could keep going on forever. (laughs) Let's make sure for the sake of time, let's look at the third pillar, which is justice. So tell me about that one. So what my teacher Kelly deals, um, says is that, um, we can't create economic justice, but we can contribute to a more just world in our pricing. But that does not mean dropping your prices so low, so, prices so low, so that the essentially societal burdens of making things accessible lies on your individual shoulders. So the answer is not, I want to help more people. I want this message to get out in the world. It's not drop your prices. It's really strategically consider how to price your business so that you have the time, the space, the margin to, you know, give to your community of impact. So um, True Yulvan in the book talks about, um, the anti-racist business books talks about there are three people. There are your customers, your clients, and your community of impact. And those three things may be different. So I want to work with, um, I want, as part of my like mission is I want to show women any business owner, that there is a different way to build business that is rooted in ease, embodiment, earnings, cyclicality, seasonality. And we can do that by breaking the business formula. But based on my, you know, the value and transformation I provide and the pricing I set, some of my offerings, you know, my one-on-one offerings aren't accessible to everybody. That's okay. I price my business so that I can give scholarships. I price so that I run a free monthly masterclass and I run a free monthly pre-planning session. I have a newsletter that goes out every week. Sarah, I know that you have your free classes and this podcast that is filled with value, Um, but I can only do that because I'm not pricing so that I have to be working all the time. I actually have the time and space to create free or low-cost offerings. Uh, Some other ideas are creating sliding scale pricing. Should you be able to afford to do so where you talk about named economic indicators? If you own your own home, are able to travel recreationally, have access to um, wealth, this is your price. If you are a nonprofit, you're supporting multiple dependents, you don't have access to healthcare, you are from a systemically um, marginalized population, you may have access to this price. And so how do we think about 
sliding scale pricing? And how do we think about, particularly as those of us with privilege and power, how do we think about divesting of our profits in some places in order to um, give back to, um, you know, individual stewarding the land, for example, um, because we're living on land that we are not um, indigenous of. So those are some ways to think about, but that all has to, you all have to have prices that allow for profit and time in order to give back to that community. So I know that was a kind of long overview, but. Um, yeah, well, I was actually going to ask, like in my notes, I was like, give me examples of how this works. And I'll use myself, this is my goal. And Jessica has heard this before. One of the things I feel strongly about is empowering women to run businesses. Um, and, you know, statistically speaking, I forget the number, but like so few women get access to funding and, you know, capital to start up businesses compared to men, frankly. And one of the things I want to do is I want to make so much money in my business that I can not just to make the money and like, you know, be rich and do all of that, which is also okay, but I want to make so much money that I'm able to afford my lake house that I talk about and also like have money to invest in women-owned businesses to lift them up because that is in line with my values, which is helping to provide economic justice for people who don't have access to that. And so I think there's so many different ways to achieve both. But ultimately, it comes down to you've got to take care of yourself first and you've got to pay yourself regularly out of your business, but then structure things in a way where you're making enough profit. So you have the space to take care of yourself and do the things in your life you want to do and travel and like spend the money on yourself, but also to, if you want, if this is one of your values, to give back and empower other people, right? And you may say, well, I'm not making money. How do I do that? Um, so one, fixed pricing, but two, think about the ways that you can be of service, even that are free. Do you have a free newsletter? Are you looking at leveraging your line items like in your budget? So if you are hiring teams, um, are you hiring diversely? Are you spending money with vendors who you understand their business practices? Um, you know, unfortunately, we all spend a lot of time on the social medias, which is just making some um, people richer. But um, do you use a scheduling tool that's maybe, um, you know, female owned um, or something like that? So how can we look at leveraging the money you are spending for justice? And as well, thinking about, do you give time to causes? Do you, but again, we don't want to martyr ourselves, mm -hmm. but we do want to think about how we are, um, maybe you, you don't have a lot to give, but you can make connections between um, business owners who need, who need resources. Um, those, are, those are ways we can contribute to this communal thriving, even if it starts early in your business. Um, how can you, you know, we're not talking about this and not a pricing thing, but how do you cite your, cite your sources? Like that's free and that contributes to justice and contributes to, this is how we, this is how we create a more, uh, more equitable environment. Uh, some of it starts with pricing, but some of it's also like in the spirit of giving of service. Um, how can I align with my values, even if um, I'm currently not making enough money in my business to give financially? Yes. I'm glad you said that because I think it doesn't have to be this thing that we do one day. It is how do we, how do we hire a team that to your point is not like paying someone in the Philippines $7 a day, right? Maybe hire the same person, but like pay them an actual 
living wage, right? Which like, I don't know what a living wage is in different countries, but like, I think you understand my point. And I think this also circles back to like what it means to be a feminist business. And like, do you know this stat off the top of your head? Like how many, what percentage of businesses are headed by women in this country? Do you know? I don't, but I do know that like less than 4% of all VC funding goes to women-owned businesses. So I do know that stat. I think that I'm, I'm interested in this. I may have to look it up and put it in the show notes, but like, I truly believe based on my clients that I see who are women who are making, you know, high six, seven, almost eight figures in revenue that when women are in places of power and have wealth, that they tend to give that to their teams. They tend to do good in their community. They tend to lift other people up at a fairly high rate. And again, this could, this is all anecdotal, like not based on any study that I have ever done, but I just really believe that it goes back to being a feminist business. Yeah. I mean, Nike had the girl effect, which is where we, um, at my old company, we would, um, invest in young girls because at that age, that's when, um, they really start to become mainstays and leading and shaping their communities. Pretty sure it's more than anecdotal. Yeah, I know it is. I just like, don't, I like to have numbers to reference because that's, you mean, come on, I'm a CPA. I like numbers. Okay. So I feel like anybody listening to this, I think that you probably have a ton of actionable advice. So I hope that you had your notebook out and we're taking notes as you did this, because I think this was amazing. And so the three pillars of pricing, Jessica, can you tell us again, like high level, what are the three pillars for, to summarize? It's price for transformation and separate the transformation you provide from your worth as a human. It's price for margin, price for time, energy, cash, community margin, and consider cyclicality and seasonality in your business. And then price for justice. Um, if the feminist in the business isn't thriving, the business isn't thriving. So that may mean counterintuitively raising your prices so that you have the ability to give back in time, in mentorship, in money to your communities of impact, even if that's not your clients. Yes. Okay. So good. Jessica, before we go, tell us, um, I have my question. I ask everybody. And you may, because you listened to my podcast episodes, you probably knew this was coming. You know, I like to highlight it being okay to be rich and spend money on yourself. And so thinking about like what it means to be wealthy to you, what is something that you would buy or invest in that feels like luxurious or like extravagant to you right now? So I don't really buy a whole lot of things, um, but really where my dream is to, um, be an angel investor. So I invest a little bit today in a, in a company called CEO, which actually provides interest-free loans to women-owned and non-binary-owned ventures. So, but my dream is to have, um, to really be able to be an active angel investor. Um, you know, we might get a house in Asheville, but really like we structure our life so that we can be comfortable with me working not in the corporate environment. So all I really wanted in life was to not work in my corporate job and to have time and freedom and friends and community. And so now it's all about how can we change the world for a better place? So. Yes. Well, and that is what 
wealth is about, right? It's not about all the trappings. It's about what is it that you want out of your life and what do you value and you doing that, actually, actually doing that. And I hear you say you're doing that now already, which I think is amazing. Okay. For anybody listening who was really turned on by talking about feminist businesses and everything that we talked about, how can we find you? How can we work with you? So I work with clients on a one-on-one basis, uh, helping them through what I call the radical reclamation process, where we redesign your business based on your soul. We redesign your strategy. We help you design systems, not just tech, but like your entire processes for more rhythm, ritual, and ease. And then we design your sustainable success long-term picture, which includes cash, team, and how you're going to leave a legacy and an impact on your community. So I work with clients one-on-one um, through coaching and consulting, but also if that's something not something you're interested in or ready for, I again offer free monthly strategy classes and a free pre-planning class that helps you get clear on your goals, um, regardless of if you're a business owner or you're just someone who's looking to up-level their life um, from a rooted, more soul-centered perspective. And you can find me on the Instagram at jessicalackey underscore consulting on LinkedIn at jessicalackey and my website, jessicalackey.com. And I'm sure Kristen will link all these in the show notes. Yes, we will link everything in the show notes. And also I just want to plug your mighty networks too is free. I don't know if you said that, but the radical strategy community. So um, in that community is uh, replays of all the courses that I've taught our monthly planning sessions and also um a free set of quotes, prompts, articles. And then every Sunday I do write a newsletter called Radical Strategy Sundays, which also features not just events that I run, but always has a community roundup section. So um, again, signal boosting the uh, businesses in our community, because if we all thrive, we all thrive. Yes. And I think that's an amazing way to end it. So thank you for all of this. This was so good. And we'll see everybody next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Now, I want you to go take some action. What's one thing you can do this week to create more profit in your business? Send me a DM on Instagram at youngcocfo and share your action item with me. If you have a question or topic you'd like me to dive into, or if you're feeling empowered about taking charge of your finances, let's continue the conversation. Go to profitandprosper.co to submit a question or topic for me to talk about on the show. And because we all profit and prosper better with friends, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe wherever you listen, and share the episode. Make sure you tag me at youngcocfo on Instagram so I can give you some love, and I'll see you in the next episode.